hey, Jim, look around the room right now. Everyone is here because of you. The moment I heard those words, it changed everything for me. And yet it changed nothing because I truly am what I always felt I was. I'm the connector. That clarity is what brings me to you and what drives this show, the Remote Start Podcast. Here, I connect my lifelong passion for bringing people together with my love of business and branding in hopes that these talks might better connect your community with what your company is all about. So let's figure out your brand. Let's figure out the target audience you want to serve and how we can use these two things to create an incredibly strong community for your business. I'm your host, Jim Doyon. Let's get something started. Remote Star Nation. On this episode, we are going to be discussing the business journey of one entrepreneur who's leading his second healthcare startup. We're going to be discussing starting a business, strategic partnerships, lifestyle, and what it takes to succeed in the hospital and healthcare industries. Today, I'll be talking with Brian Russin, co-founder and CEO of Patient Genie, an AI-driven healthcare navigation solution that helps consumers navigate through the complexities of provider search and delivers patients to the provider's front door using patented algorithms and methods. I'm excited to speak to Brian today, who came highly recommended as a guest from Justin Kahn, who I had on episode 22 of the Remote Start podcast, who actually has now become a good friend. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and do so. I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. With that said, Brian, welcome. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jim. It's good to be on the show. Absolutely. So let's get this started. I want to know something about you that if we just met on the street, I wouldn't know. Oh, man. If, well, if we just met on the street, uh, I don't know. Man, I, I'm a dad. That's my, that's my first and foremost. I've got four kids scattered from college to elementary school. And just, yeah, just I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur, hustling, single dad and just doing life. Yeah, I love it. We, we've talked a lot about lifestyle and some of the things that you do with your kids. And I, I, I think we relate a lot in that, that way. Have you always just everything you wanted to do in the outdoors and all your experiences? Have you always brought your kids in on that? Or was it something at a certain age? Uh, certain ages, I think. I mean, I taught all of them to ski or snowboard pretty early on because it's Utah and we have, you know, the best snow on the planet. So, you know, that, that, that's always been important, you know, my, uh, you know, boating and wakeboarding and wake surfing taught all the kids how to do that pretty early on too. So, you know, I, uh, some of them love it and some of them don't. It's interesting to see the different personalities, uh, in all of them for sure. That's so true. My, my daughter, I've tried to get to mountain bike with, with me so bad and there's, she did it once there's zero interest, but my boys are like all about it. Like that's all they want to do. And snowboarding similar, like she'll go out there, she'll rip it up, but it's not, she's yeah. not asking me to go. I'll tell you that. I think, uh, I think my, my middle two daughters, I think they enjoy the, uh, I think they enjoy the Instagram aspect of snowboarding more so than the sport aspect of snowboarding. So yeah. I could see that. Hey, whatever it takes to get them out there. Right. Like whatever gets those likes, whatever gets those likes. So talk to me about your entrepreneurial journey. I know this is definitely not your first business. We're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the stuff you have in the works now, but tell me where it started. 
Yeah, I, it's in the blood. I think, you know, uh, it definitely is something since I was a kid, I kind of had an entrepreneurial mind. Um, you know, you asked my parents probably a little too much. Sometimes there was always a hustle. There was always something going on. And then, uh, you know, after college, I, uh, I went to work for large fortune 50 companies and kind of spent some time on that corporate side of the world, worked for, you know, United health group, worked for Microsoft, <clears throat> worked for Intel at a capacity, a handful of other kind of mid-market sized health tech organizations. Uh, but the entrepreneurial side was always kind of there for me, uh, and was fortunate to me with Justin, uh, you know, years ago, co-found, uh, you know, pay or uh, true clinic with him. And, uh, we, you know, we had a blast. It was, uh, it was a good time. We had a, a you know, <laughs> we had a good time. We, we took that company from a, a fledgling idea and a handful of different proof of concepts and pilots into, you know, as a, a really kind of scalable solution for telehealth, not knowing what would happen in 2020. And then obviously yeah. kind of scaling that up through some different kind of deals and strategic deals and acquisitions. And, you know, we're fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, um, to really kind of help out the, you know, the pandemic from that perspective and, and keep people connected with their providers during a time that none of us had ever kind of lived through before. So, you know, we were fortunate to be in the right place, right time. That's awesome. And I want to talk more about Justin and strategic partnerships and, you know, how that's really played a role into how you've grown and been able to accomplish what you have in, in business. Um, but before we go there, I'd like to know more about, you know, what you're doing now and, you know, talk about Patient Genie, talk about some of the other things that, that you have on your plate right now. Yeah. So Patient Genie kind of came out of, uh, you know, that same kind of health tech, health vision perspective. Um, obviously with a, a much larger AI component. Uh, and so what we, what we recognized in building telehealth platforms across the world uh, with TrueClinic and with InTouch and, and those kinds of organizations uh, was, you know, we did a great job of building the infrastructure for telehealth. But one thing that was still lacking was really how a consumer finds care, right? So Today, let's say you move to a new region, your provider retires, you get diagnosed with something, you need to find a specialist, whatever the case might be, you need to find a provider. Today, the process for that is you ask maybe your neighbors who they go to, maybe you have a family member, or maybe you have a Facebook group or some social media that you follow. Um, or, you know, for like the most of us, you, know, you go to Google and you search for, you know, this type of provider in this area. Then you end up at your health plan's website, trying to figure out if they're in your network or not, what the benefit might look like. And then once you kind of get through that process and find one that's in your network, then you go to the health system or the provider themselves and try to figure out, do they speak the language I want to speak? Do they have those social cultural determinants that, that are important to me as a patient and as a consumer? Um, you know, I, I think we have all had the experience where we've gone into a provider, whether that, whatever kind of provider that might be, and we don't really click with that person, right? We're sharing some yeah. of the most personal information about ourselves with this person, but there's no kind of click with that individual uh, provider. And so we're not really happy. So maybe we stay, maybe we go find a different one, depending on the urgency of our condition. And so what we've tried to do and what we have done with Patient Genie is built profiles about all of the different providers in the U.S. So there's about five and a half million providers in the U.S. that provide 
all kinds of different care, whether that's traditional MDs or DOs, whether that's uh, chiropractors or massage therapists or whatever the case might be. And so we've built profiles about all of these providers in the industry. And then that allows us to match those providers and what they do in clinic with consumer inputs. So I have a bad shoulder, it's a snowboarding injury, you know, and so I'm always looking for a good orthopedist that treats shoulders. Well, if I go to, you know, my health plans website, and I look for orthopedists there, it's going to give me an alphabetical list of orthopedists, but I don't know if they do shoulders or knees or hips or elbows or finger joints, right? Because none yeah. of that information is captured in that directory. And so by taking a look at the provider from what they actually claim in uh, both insurance and, you know, kind of Medicaid and Medicare and extrapolating that back to the granular level to understand what they actually do in clinic. I can then refine that search for the consumer and say, look, here's the five top orthopedic surgeons in Utah that do shoulders. And then I can start to look at the next layer of, you know, do they accept my insurance? Do they speak Spanish? Do they speak, uh, or where do they go to medical school? Are they board certified? I can start to go through those things that are important to me and filter those yeah. results down even more. So, so we that's built incredible. And that's, uh, that's basically the premise of the, the concept of where that came from. I think that's such a, an opportunity there. I mean, I could speak from experience this summer, I blew out my uh, meniscus and a mountain biking injury. And it was like, you know, that to me, it was a daunting, such a daunting task to find somebody like used to that specialized in knees that, you know, understood sports injuries that took my insurance. It was, it was hours on the phone and, and researching until I finally found somebody that fit all, all my criteria. So to be able to narrow that down with, with patients, Jeannie, how would I, as, as the, the user here, how would I figure that out? Would I just go to the website and, and plug in my information? Yeah. So we have a direct to consumer website. So patientgenie.com it's live, it's in beta. You can go use it in, in all transparency. There's not a lot you can do there yet. Um, and that's by design. So you can find a provider, but a lot of the filtering doesn't work because we're, we're, uh, um, dependent on the data that we have on the back end to create those kind of matches. And so one of the things that we're working on as we kind of lead into kind of strategic partnerships and relationships with customers is, is continuing to build out that data ecosystem so that we have rich data about the providers, because if I'm a provider, so let's say I'm an orthopedic surgeon. And I practice here in Salt Lake or whatever the case might be. And I only do hips and I only do sports related uh, or knees. Sorry. I only do sports related knee injuries. Well, there's really not a lot of ways for me to filter the patients that are coming through my front door either. And so they see a need like this where they can say, I don't want to see people that have a shoulder or have a hip injury because I don't treat that. Push those to a peer that I have that, do, that does treat that instead. And so there's kind of a duplicative value, both from the consumer coming through the right front door, as well as what's actually ending up inside of that provider's office and being kind of letting the provider practice top of license. And so there's a balance in, in creating a space where we can get the right data to create the right profile about the providers to bring in the right patients into their waiting room. So their waiting rooms aren't bogged down with people that are better served somewhere else. And we've all experienced that where we've gone to a provider. And they've said, well, I'm not the right person for this. I'm going to send you to a different specialist. And we call that other specialist and they're six months out. And so it elongates unnecessarily 
the 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 resolution time for our conditions because we're ending up you know in an inefficient model and so one of the things that we're working on is building better consumer efficiency inside of that that interaction so today you know i use the example of i go to google and then i go to the health plan website and then i go to the health system website that's a myriad of different front doors it's not a rich consumer experience it's an extremely clunky consumer experience right so people fall out, consumers fall out of that experience. And they're like, well, forget it. This is too difficult. I'll just go to the emergency room, right? Well, that's the worst case scenario of what we want to happen is, you know, and a non-emergent solution ending up in an emergency room. That's just taxing on the system for no reason. And so there's a better way for us to create better efficiency from a consumer experience, very similar to like what Travelocity or Orbitz or, you know, Google Flights or whoever did for the kind of the travel industry. Whereas a consumer, I can go to one destination, let's just use Orbitz, and I can book my flight on Delta. I can book my hotel at Marriott. I can book my car through Avis in one consumer experience. And yeah. so what we'll build with Patient Genie is not only the ability for you to find the right provider, but through some strategic relationships we'll put in place, actually connect with that provider and build kind of a master front door, if you will, for all of the front door applications that exist in healthcare. So now I can schedule my appointment with my provider directly in the search experience. I can uh, engage directly with that provider through their telehealth vendor directly through the search experience. So I don't have to go a bunch of different places. I do that in one experience as opposed to your experience, obviously, which was, it takes me two days of calling and and Googling and trying to find out where I'm supposed to go and how do I schedule an appointment and that are nine months out. So then I'm back to ground zero doing it again. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, most of our podcast is about starting a business and building a brand. And one of the things that you've done over and over and over again is starting businesses. And, you know, there's even other businesses, the, the Russ and Family Foundation I want to get into in a little bit, but, you know, let's talk about for, for the remote star nation out there who's listening and they're they're thinking about starting their first business or maybe a, a, a second business, what are some things that you've done that have allowed you to be successful and not just starting a business, but scaling that to a level that you're able to sell? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would say on that front, you know, and, and it's cliche, right? But just do it. If you've got an idea, just start with something. Right. You don't have to have an obscene amount of capital to get started. You know, you can bootstrap pretty much any, any kind of business uh, and just get going. Right. And, and just be tenacious. That's the, that's the secret. I think it, at some level, it, you know, launching a company, launching a business uh, is just about that kind of first takeoff. Uh, scaling a business is a completely different beast. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be a part of a couple of companies that we've scaled, you know, to the point where uh, we were able to exit. I've got others, you know, I I've failed more than I've succeeded for sure. And so I, I think, you know, you've got to be willing to fail. And uh, yeah, I'm such, you know, contrary to popular belief, I'm pretty non-sentimental. And so for me, I don't, I don't get married to the ideas that I, that I have or to the businesses that I have outside of the foundation. That's the only one that, you know, kind of is a legacy company for me. But I think outside of that one, uh, I don't get married to the idea. I don't get married to the business. And so for me, it is just that it is just a business. I love that. I think that's great advice because I think so often people think they have to be like 
I, I mean, I think there has to be passion there. There has to be an, a reason why you're doing it. But that doesn't have to tie in to, to your point there. That doesn't necessarily have to tie into that exact business. It could just be the, the thought behind it, the model, the, yeah. you know, the business itself, right? Yeah, and absolutely. And sometimes when you get to that point where you've got a great idea and you've kind of had some early success, but it's time to scale. Sometimes you're not the best person or the best organization to scale that idea. And you, you've got to be able to be um, in tune with yourself enough and in tune enough with the market and the idea to be able to say, I'm not the best person or I'm not the best organization to scale this idea to the point that it could go to. And being able to check that ego down, if you will, in that sense and let you know someone else or some other company come in and scale it is, is absolutely as, as important as the idea itself. Well, let's go back to the, the scenario with you and Justin and, and teaming up. How, how did that partnership form? How did that, like, how did that start? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. So I was, I was working for Microsoft at the time that we met. Uh, we were, we were in law. I was in the health group. We were launching Surface, right, which was their competitor to iPad back in the day. Uh, we were looking for use cases in healthcare to launch Surface. Uh, and I was, I was working with, um, you know, the Leva group here in Salt Lake, you know, a nice healthcare boutique consulting firm had a, a few colleagues there. Um, and they introduced me to Justin. We ended up at an event, uh, with each other and they say, Hey, this would be a great use case for, for surface. You know, he's got this telehealth company that's growing, but not growing fast enough and you should connect. And so, uh, I sat down with Justin and we hit it off pretty quick, had some similar interests. We're very different, he and I, uh, and I think that that difference lended well to to our success. And so, you know, we uh, we got together, moved into an advisory capacity for him, and then eventually got to a point where it made sense to move into more of a full time capacity. Uh, you know, and uh, and really played off of each other's strengths. We uh, we joined an incubator down in Miami called Startup Bootcamp. Uh, and, uh, and that was a great decision because we ended up meeting a couple of other individuals and Alex and Batali that had another company that made a lot of sense. And we just, we smashed those two companies together to create what, what was true clinic, um, and what we took to market as true clinic, which became appetizing enough for, a, a, a large acquisition. And we were able to do that with InTouch and then, you know. Yeah, we scaled that and then uh, InTouch sold it to Teladoc and right before the pandemic. And it, uh, it was just, a, it, it was literally the, the snowball that just kept rolling. Right. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fortunate to have been in, uh, in connection with all those guys and, and really kind of drive that vision, that, that idea to the next level. How important you mentioned something a, a couple of times you hit on it of like you, you understood, you played into each other's strengths. How important is, is it as an entrepreneur and someone looking for a partnership to understand your strengths, to know what, like truly who you are and what you're good at? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's important to understand kind of the, the, the swim lane that we're in, that you were in, that you excel in. I think it's as important to understand the areas where you're the weakest. Uh, and, you know, I was fortunate to find partners that, um, you know, exemplified my weaknesses. Uh, and, uh, and, and that, that's what made it successful for us because those, those different perspectives, those different ways of looking at problem solving and scale and, uh, you know, business operation lends for a better, 
better company, a better organization, you know, being able to remove that, that ego, as you will, and really kind of say, you know, is there a better way to do this contrary to what I think might be the best way? I think that's really hard. I think it's a lot of people want to think that they're good at so much. Is there something that you, that you do and to understand like, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not. Yeah. I mean, uh, experience, I, I think is kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a book you can read. Maybe there is, if anyone has any recommendations, I'll take them. Right. Uh, but I think for me, it's just experience. I, I know I excel in kind of strategy and business relationship and partnership, um, and, uh, you know, market dynamics and those types of pieces. I don't excel in, you know, thinking about how a product should look or how a product should act. And so I've been fortunate to, to be aligned with individuals that do think that way, uh, very strategically. And, uh, you know, and that's led itself into a number of different ventures that have, have really done well. You mentioned with Justin, you kind of started as, you know, you like a board role, and then you got into more of like, you were, you know, you actually jumped in with it. Yeah. Is that kind of how you like for when you're deciding partnerships and, and what role to take is, I mean, is it all about just going out and networking and finding the individuals and, you know, just having that conversation and seeing their, like actually figuring out their strengths through conversation, or is there another way you go about that? Uh, I think, I think it's about getting out there. Right. Uh, I mean, it's your baby. And it's always interesting when you talk to entrepreneurs that struggle with getting their product into the market. Um, because they're like, but this is such an awesome idea. Why doesn't everybody want it? Right. Uh, and it's because it's not their idea. It's not their baby. And I, I think it's difficult to kind of understand that people have a world of different priorities that aren't whatever you've dreamed up as, as the best, the next best idea. And so being able to get out there and get that, ex that idea exposed, um, and, uh, and get it in front of people is absolutely pivotal to, to, especially early on success because people just don't know. Right. And, yeah. and it takes a lot of lists, a lot of lists to, to seed, um, those ideas in people. So when you go out there, are you like, do you already have it in mind? Like I'm willing to give up X percentage of this idea. Is it even like, is that even a a topic at first, or is it just, let's just go out and, and try to see if someone might be a good fit. Yeah. I think it's more of the latter. Um, you know, I, I think the economics tend to work themselves out eventually. Uh, I think, you know, can you find someone who can buy into your vision, buy into the concept, buy into kind of the idea. Um, and then when you get there, then you let the economics work themselves out. I love that. It's great Stay advice. Off. Yeah. And I feel like even in my, my business, it's, you know, you can't be greedy. You have to understand that it, it has to work for everybody. And I think that's, I, I could see a lot of people getting hung up on, you know, either not trusting others. Like, so maybe that's, that's, you know, something that's going to hinder that or just wanting to do it all themselves and understanding that it's so much better when you have a network and, and that partnership that, like you said, you can rely on other people for their strengths based on your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I think at some level, um, you know, it, it, the, the entrepreneur landscape is littered with great ideas. 
that just didn't get executed on. And, and that could be, they didn't get executed because the market wasn't ready. You know, I mean, we did health vault when I was at Microsoft. Well, I don't even know, 15 years ago, something, something like that. Great idea, great concept, way ahead of its time. Never really caught, right? And we have, you know, somewhat unlimited capital, right? Uh, and uh, and now we see a lot more, we see a lot more presence around those types of organizations than we've ever seen because it's it's probably closer to the right time. And so the entrepreneur landscape is littered with great ideas that just didn't get executed on. And that could be hubris, that could be ego. Uh, you know, that could be anything, but I, I think there is a mentality sometimes with some entrepreneurs of this is my idea. I don't want to give any of it up. I'm going to do this on my own. And that works. And that works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. I've, I've tended to lean on the, the modus around this is a great idea. I want to surround my pe- myself with great people to help me take this idea to the next level and share in the pie because I'm going to do it again and I'm going to wash, rinse and repeat and I'm going to do it again. And so, you know, I'll make it up on the, I'll make it up on the long tail with, you know, four or five companies as opposed to trying to do it by myself. I love that. We've talked about, you know, some of the successes and, and the partnerships, but you, you hit on it earlier. You said you've had a lot that haven't been successful. You've had a lot of companies not work. Is there a reasoning that you've, you've found in the failures you've had and, and, and failures, that's a tough word because you learn something from everything that you do, right? But right is word. there something that you've taken away from, from those ones that didn't work of, of okay, I, I get it now. Like, I'm going to not make this mistake again. Yeah, every time. Every time. Uh, failure is the right word. That, you know, there's, there's, always, uh, there's always a reason that it didn't work. Uh, whether that's the market, whether it's, you know, you, whether it's, um, you know, the, the vision, the, the capital, whatever the, whatever the failure is, there's always a reason or a myriad of reasons to look back and learn from. And, and, you know, I, I, I correlate that not only the business life, but, but business, but personal life, um, et cetera. I, anytime we fail, there's a lesson to learn. Right. And sometimes we have to learn it a few times over, uh, before it yeah. sticks. Sometimes it never sticks, but. Yeah, I, uh, I can look at all of the companies that I've worked for, started, tried to get off the ground that haven't worked, and I can recognize the failure points uh, in those organizations. Has it come down to picking the wrong partner in any of them? Um, no, no, I, I can't think of one. I can't think of one that's failed because of the partnership, I think. Um, you know, they've failed because of the market that maybe the dynamics in the partnership, I would say the yeah. dynamics in the partnership. Yes. But I think intrinsically people want to succeed, want to do well, are willing to work hard. Um, I think that's a natural human state. Um, and, uh, and I think it's just, sometimes it just doesn't match or doesn't correlate. It's interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So you had talked about, you know, not falling really in love with, with the business itself, mm-hmm. other than the one that the foundation, your nonprofit, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I started the foundation uh, about three years ago to almost three years ago, um, focused primarily on, um, gap equality in a myriad of different spaces. So we what, initially we started with mental health, 
So we focus on mental health gap grants. So we like to find or identify individuals that need mental health services and maybe are underinsured or uninsured that we can help bridge the gap between what their insurance pays and what the provider charges for those mental health services. Uh, and so we've been fortunate to, to grant a handful of different individuals in that. Uh, we're constantly fundraising to raise more money so we can do more grants uh, and really kind of drive that down. We do some community um, initiatives as well. We've got some good partnerships and other nonprofits that focus on, um, you know, school bullying and uh, mental health in schools and, and that age demographic. That's an important demographic for us, kind of teen to, to young adult as well. Um, but yeah, so the foundation is, is something that's near and dear to the heart. That's a legacy company for me. That'll be the company that gets passed down to the kids, um, to kind of continue to drive that good back into our communities. I love that. And, and I don't think I hit it, uh, said it earlier, but it's the Russin family foundation for, for those of you listening in, um, you know, Brian, my, my question on, on that, like, so you've started a lot of profit for profit businesses. What was it that you know, the idea behind it or the reasoning that for you to start this foundation? Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be successful um, in my for-profit world. Uh, and and I wanted to do something, you know, I, I think give it back is somewhat kind of overused and cliche, but to give it back to, to, you know, to help the communities. I'm a big proponent of, you know, growth in community and, and and in a rising tide lifts all ships. And we have such disparity in this country and this planet uh, that's completely unnecessary. So if I can do a little bit to help, uh, you know, I will. And this is just a mechanism to do so. For those of us listening, what can we do to, to help the foundation? Yeah, I mean, uh, anything. We're always looking for volunteers that want to help. Uh, fundraise, you know, fundraising, that's the lifeblood of any nonprofit is fundraising uh, and for profit. Uh, and so, you know, we're constantly fundraising. I think we'll do a gala, uh, probably September-ish. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have some press out about that as we get closer to that. But anything, I, if there's opportunities for the foundation to be involved, we'd love to hear about those. If there's opportunities for fundraising, obviously love to hear about those. If anybody wants to volunteer, you know, feel free to reach out. We're always looking for people to help identify both grant opportunities as well as uh, grant individuals and, and families that, that may need help. So yeah, just reach out. That would be my catch. Awesome. I, I, I would love to uh, partake in some of the events coming up. So I'll, I'll definitely follow up with you on that one. Um, I want to switch it up. So this, this podcast is also about lifestyle and, yeah. you know, going through, going through your, your LinkedIn profile, having conversation with you. And I, I said earlier in the podcast, like we, we are very connected in a way of uh, getting our kids involved and, and being active and getting outdoors and, and really living, like not focusing too much on being tied down to our business, but going out and seeking adventure and, and putting in those quality times. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, your your business and how that ties into your lifestyle and how you've, you know, brought the two together. Yeah, no, I'm a play hard, work hard guy. 
uh, you know, and, and anybody that I've worked with, I would hope that anybody that I've worked with, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a playful person. That's my, that's my personality. I, I hate being cooped up in an office. I'm a, I gotta be outside. I need sunshine. I, even if it's for an hour, you know, I, I, I ran a sales team years ago and we would always sneak out on Friday afternoons and play flag football at the park. And yeah, it was great. We had like 20 guys. It was nuts. So, but that was a thing, right? I just want to get out and play. So yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a play hard guy. You know, if I can sneak out and get a few runs in, in the morning before my meetings get started, I absolutely, if it's a powder day, I absolutely will. Um, and you know, I, it, I've spent some time in my career, in my life where I've been solely focused on work and that, you know, uh, my balance was, was broken. Uh, and so for me, I've found the best cadence for me is to, to maintain a balance where I have, um, a, a little bit of play mixed in with a lot of work and when there's not a lot of work, then a lot of play. And so, um, you know, I, I've started companies that are around my passion or been involved in companies that are around my passion. We had a, a wakeboarding and wake surfing school. Uh, which was a blast. I had a buddy that had a retail kind of outdoor company and, and we kind of parlayed that into a, um, wakeboarding, wake surfing school. It, it was awesome. It was, it was one of my favorite jobs. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with boating, you know, four or five yeah. days. It's not very conducive to, you know, your other life and, you know, wives and kids and other responsibilities, but it, it was a blast to just sit on the lake every night and teach people how to surf or teach people how to wakeboard. And, uh, you know, that was a good time. It was a good time. I, I wouldn't mind dusting that one off at some point. I think it sounds awesome <laughs> I, to, to do what you love and be passionate about and get paid for it. And yeah. you know, that's the ticket. How do you, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard though. Cause you get to that point where you're like, passion becomes work and yeah. And so you, it's balance. You got to maintain that balance, right? You had said something about, you know, when, when there's business to be done, you're doing business, but you're still getting some play time in and, and vice versa. When you have a partner who maybe isn't into the same, you know, work-life balance as you are, how do you, is it just communication and, and making sure that they understand that stuff's going to get done? Do you have, you know, expectations set up? Like how, do, how does that play in? Yeah. Uh, cold plate resolution. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's communication. I, I think it's just, you know, I, you know, with Justin back in the true clinic days, it was interesting to, you know, cause I would always, you know, sneak out to hit the resort, but you know, he'd see me on email at 10 o'clock at night too, right. After the kids are in bed and, uh, you know, just kind of, I'm a big proponent I don't believe in a nine to five lifestyle. Um, I think that's broken and, uh, you know, but I do believe in getting it done. And so people that work for me, I have that same expectation, like just get your work done. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning or, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. When we, when we started True Clinic, our chief technology officer lived in an RB uh, you know, worked just oddball hours, traveled all over the place. We never knew where he would be the next day. And he's just coding away, like building product. And, uh, and it was great. It was interesting. It was a different model that I was used to, but, uh, but it worked. And, and now I have, you know, development teams with patient genie. They're scattered all over kind of Eastern Europe. 
and uh, you know, I'm a very kind of remote, mobile first type of uh, leader and entrepreneur. And I just I I drive and look for the best talent wherever that talent might be. So, yeah. And do you set it up where you know for for entrepreneurs listening, is it, hey, these are your KPIs that you need to put into place and say these are our targets and weekly check in. Like, help us to understand that a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of KPIs, honestly. Uh, I, I go back to my, my earlier kind of, uh, you know, comment. I, I believe at their core, people want to do good work. And when you find someone that's passionate about doing good work, you don't have to manage them at that level. You can just let them do their work. Now, obviously, you know, you get a bad seed every once in a while, and there's ways to manage that and, and manage those people out when you need to. And I've had to do that, fortunately or unfortunately, as well. Um, but uh, I, I think for the most part, I, my managerial style, my leadership style is very much everyone's going to bring a level of energy and a level of work ethic and a level of um, humility to their, to their job, a, a level of expert. Uh, experts that's not a word experience right and uh, yeah. and that capacity and, and let them do that right let them let them be them let them show you what they can do and i've found that that work environment that space lends itself better to better outcomes better um better employees better employee retention more so than you know sitting down once a quarter to talk through a bunch of bullets that you know that you think are important and, and that'll go against a lot of kind of managerial uh, styles, but I'm okay with that. It is what it yeah. is. Yeah, and I love that it's worked. It's worked for what you've done, and and you're showing that that leadership style is is a style. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to hit on this episode for those out there, and you know, the healthcare industry, hospital system. Like, what what are some things that are different than a normal business that maybe you've been in or done? And what are some things that those in this industry need to understand to be able to succeed? Yeah, this is a top industry. I came to healthcare, oh, probably what, 2000, 2002, 2003, something like that. So it's been about 20, 20 years that I've been in healthcare. I've always been in tech, but came to healthcare about 20 years ago. Uh, and it, it's a different industry uh, because it is traditionally non-technical. Uh, and so, you know, moving tech into that industry has been, has been a significant lift. There's a reason why the healthcare system is as difficult to navigate as it is, right? And it's because it's just a legacy process that just right. exists. So, uh, you know, if you're building a company in the health um, provider sector, and that's a space you want to be in, just be prepared for extremely long sales cycles um, because it is. Uh, the budgets, the budgets are razor thin margins. There's not a lot of extra money laying around. You've really got to prove that your product or service moves the needle uh, from either a revenue or a cost control side. Uh, otherwise, it just won't get any of the attention of the larger organizations. And so, you know, I've been fortunate to work with most of the large health systems around the country. And so have good contacts kind of scattered around in those organizations. And this is a hard industry to kind of get in with. And so when we kind of bleed back into strategic partnerships, in my opinion, strategic partnerships in this sector specifically are a life and death decision for new and fledgling companies. 
um, being able to leverage both the expertise and the relationships that already exist or may exist is absolutely pivotal to success in this space. And I, I don't think I'm alone. If you were to talk to anybody else in kind of healthcare, health tech, I think that, uh, I think that, that motto would ring true in, in all cases. And so would you recommend getting out there and, and making the connections and, and trying to really understand who, who to connect with as a partner, even, I mean, would you say that's more important than your product itself? Uh, I wouldn't say it's more important than the products, but it's definitely important when you, when you're ready to take product to market. Uh, yeah. And, and fortunately, you know, there's a lot of good groups and a lot of incubation groups and kind of relationship groups in healthcare, because that's a natural dynamic that, uh, that have done well and, and kind of see the value in, uh, those kind of, uh, kickstart, if you will, type organizations. Um, and a lot of the large health systems own a lot of those because they, they want that tech. They see the tech down there at the bottom of the, you know, the, the ecosystem. And they want to boil those up into their organizations. And so those are typically the best ones to work with. Cool. Any last bit of advice for entrepreneurs in the healthcare industry that, that you want to leave? Uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't stop. Just keep going. You know, just if you got to bootstrap it, bootstrap it, right? We're in a, we're in a difficult kind of venture uh, atmosphere right now both in healthcare and tech, right? It's been a rough couple of years from a venture perspective and a capital perspective. And so, you know, do what you got to do to just kind of survive in the, in the space and time that we exist in because it's absolutely necessary. And the opportunity is there. Uh, absolutely, the opportunity for growth is there. It's just navigating through the, the current kind of environment. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, Brian, we'll have your show notes. Uh, in the show notes, we'll have links to you know, your business, your foundation, um, you know, your, your LinkedIn, uh, where's the best place if someone's looking out to, you know, touch base with you on anything, where, where would you recommend they reach out? Yeah, probably LinkedIn is the best place. Professional relationships. That's kind of the, the that's my social media platform for professional relationships. Uh, if it's foundation based, just come straight to me, uh, in the foundation. Cool. And if it's to go skiing and snowboarding, then. To yeah, yeah. Knock on your door. Yeah, <laughs> Instagram, all the other social medias, right? Let's <laughs> let's just go, or just say, "Hey, I'll be a basin at night." Uh, it's no, uh, so yeah. If it's if it's to play outside, definitely find me and and let's go break some powder. Awesome, I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, before we leave, the show's coming to an end, but you know, one thing I always like to close with, if if there's one piece of advice, one thing that you can leave with, you know, an entrepreneur today, someone maybe might be something we went over. It might be something we didn't. What, what would you leave with them? Uh, I think, uh, I think, and we did talk about it a little bit. I, I would say, take the failure, learn the lesson and, and do it again. Right. It's okay to fail. You will. So take the lesson and, uh, and then go do it, go execute on something else. That's great advice. Brian, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it, Jim. Always, anytime. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, most our nation, I hope you learned as much as I did today and can put some of what Brian shared with us to work for you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for joining us on this journey as we help you to start a business, grow your brand, and create your desired lifestyle. 
Remember, leave a comment, subscribe, and more importantly, share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you heard today. Till next time, go start something, start it today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. We've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for allowing me to share my passion of bringing people together through business and branding in hopes to connect you with your community. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Woodward Movement, the leader in brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. Check out our remotestartpodcast.com for more episodes and our social channels to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you build a strong community for your business. I'm Jim Doyon. Thank you for connecting.